This week is the 500th anniversary of the day Martin Luther nailed his 95 complaints to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. And thus were we all burdened with Protestant Christianity and all of its tortured shit. I was raised not just Methodist, but a Midwestern Methodist, where all mystery and beauty had been drained away. Mostly what we were left with were instructions on what to do. Sermons about how abortion is murder, how Muslims are terrorists, and the wife should submit to the authority of the husband. To give a little credit to my father, he did yank us out of church for a couple months after that particular sermon. And then there was the time my Sunday school teacher showed us all a video of an exorcism. I still don't know what that was about. I don't think Methodists even believe in demon possession. But even after all these years, I'm still infected with Protestant ideas and values. From the never-ending shame, to the work ethic, to a stubborn distrust of intellectual authority. Some of it, like the hatred for things like beauty and pleasure, I have made a little headway in washing out of myself. I am sure there are nice things about Protestantism, and I'm sure if I have another 500 years, I can think of some of them. But it's easy to think of the whole American history of religion of being exactly this. Male, Protestant, stark, and hard. Like the Protestant iconoclasts who destroyed sculptures and paintings and icons and frescoes that had decorated cathedrals for centuries because they found them decadent. Which is why I was so pleased to read Adrian Shirk's And Your Daughter Shall Prophecy, which restores women to the story of American religion, as well as mystery and beauty. Tracing the history and legacy of American mystics and women religious leaders, Shirk complicates the simplistic ideas we have about belief. And in the process, she helps herself and other seekers like her find a place within faith. So reading, reading your book, um, it turns out that we share a lot of spiritual experiences, which is we both read the tarot. Um, I also have a bad habit of crying in churches, and I also have a problem believing that illness is caused by disease and not some sort of spiritual or psychological issue, <laughs> which is bad. Um, it's a bad thing to believe that. But we have some common ground, so that, that that's where we can start. Is our, uh, our bad spiritual gr- habits? Our bad spiritual habits. Well, tarot isn't, tarot isn't a, one. <laughs> tarot is a good spiritual habit. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, two. Yes, but the other two are uh, probably not not super great. Why do you cry in churches? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think partly because having found myself at any at any point, which is now actually frequently, but early on in my adulthood, having found myself in churches at all was so disturbing to me. Um, it was so unbidden. Um, I, I felt like I was betraying <laughs> myself and everything I believed and everything I'd been raised to believe. And, um, and part of the reason for that is, is are, the, are, are the things that I address in the book, um, which I think was this issue of um, you know, examining or not having had the opportunity yet to examine the ways in which <laughs> um, 
the interpreters and powers that be of the church um, or of churches have have made terrible monsters out of the theology. And so I found myself in churches both, you know, disturbed that I was there, alarmed that I was there, profoundly moved by something I was seeing there, which was this like, which was this mystical devotional experience that seemed to be organized around some pretty radical things, not least of which was this sort of radical, this this theology of radical self-sacrifice and um, and community and um, this and this theology of um, you know second chances and 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 disturbing strange surprising forms of hope and um, and that too all of those reasons made me cry I was I was I was a traitor and I was <laughs> and I was a traitor because I was moved by what was going on and I was a traitor because I couldn't explain why I was there in this place that I knew I shouldn't be um, and I think. Now, as a church crier, it's different because I had an opportunity to do a sort of analysis of power within church spaces. And what that allowed me to do was find other ways or places where this theology was being celebrated that felt, um, that felt truer to what I understood it to be, which is to say this sort of, um, this actually pretty socially radical um, call to action. So now I cry because I go to my church in the Bronx that's like this interracial, interclass utopia that meets in uh, the cafeteria of a girls' high school, of a Catholic girls' high school, <laughs> <laughs> on like Sunday afternoons. And, um, and I cry because it's like extraordinary to me. It feels like a, like a miracle <laughs> that it exists. What kind of what denomination? It's a it's a United Methodist Church, but like on the fringes. It's like they got some, you know, some resources and some, um, I don't know, leeway to go do this sort of experimental. Um, uh, I forget what they call it. They don't call it a church plant. They call it a, a mission or something. And um, but this, but it was expressly to sort of create this, um, yeah, this this sort of like radical boundary crossing community in, in the Bronx and this extremely like heterogeneous um, part of the Bronx in particular. And now, I mean, I don't think they, <laughs> and now I think they've, you know, are sort of on the margins of this movement that has supported them. And like, so anyway, United Methodist, but like it's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, well, I'm interested in this idea of betraying yourself. I think I, uh, I, had a very similar experience when I started going back to religion of um, I was raised Protestant but by atheist Protestants um, so they didn't really believe in God but they thought that the moral framework was something that we should be raised in um, but it was very sort of you know lacked drama or emotion or anything else it was just singing songs sadly and stiffly um, uh, bad, bad songs. None of the good ones. Like Onward Christian Soldiers, a lot. No, a lot wow. of that. Um, and so needing something else, yeah, it felt like a bit of a, um, of a betrayal. And especially to go back, not that I'm a Christian, but to go back to Christianity as a way back into religion 
felt like, oh, shit, I don't want to do this. Like, I really resisted mm-hmm. it for a long time and tried to find any other portal, but it didn't, never worked out for me. Totally, because you're, like, literally the most evil people in the world have all been Christians. The yeah. most, among the most evil um, campaigns that have ever taken place have been identified or self-identified <laughs> with Christianity. Uh so there's that. Yeah, that feels like a betrayal. That's a bit of a Then lot. there's the <laughs> smaller betrayal, which is that I grew up, uh, you know, very, like, deeply secular um, in the Pacific Northwest for, like, many generations. Like the, the, and, uh, and it was just, you know, so, and, and it was, and, and religion was sort of presented to me as, or, or I understood it as just, again, this sort of anathema to, to, to the values that we all shared about, um, uh, like you know, women's rights and racial equality, and um, uh, um, like support systems, social safety nets, like I don't know, like taking tinctures if you're sick. I mean, there's a whole. This is a very particular brand, but um, you know, being kind of feeling snobby about people who have wealth. That's another part of it, um, or who aren't like don't present as middle class um and uh and so it felt also just like a betrayal to all that I'd been raised with which was which was a place that it was okay to have a kind of spiritual or new age framework I was you know like my interest in tarot and astrology was made sense within that framework because it didn't require any kind of like mm, dogma and uh yeah but so finding myself finding myself in in this place that that yeah felt like a betrayal <laughs> to all that I'd been raised with, all Re- that I'd been raised to agree with. Remind me what your sign is. I'm a Virgo. That's right. Yeah, I knew it was Virgo. I have a lot of Virgo, but so. I got a Cancer Moon. Right, because I have the Cancer Sun and the Virgo Moon. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I do want to talk about tarot in the sense of like, is is it to you in some ways? part of your spiritual practice. Yeah, very much so. Um, Partly because, partly also in the way that writing and making narratives and stories is part of my spiritual practice too, in that it is the deepest way that I know how to have an encounter with the world and understand something and go outside of myself into this deeper place, into these like deeper mysteries and move around in them without any foregone conclusions. That's how I know how to do that. And tarot provides the same, a similar kind of mechanism, which is this, uh, which is this ability to kind of dive into a story um, or read the cards like a story or approach these, these, you know, approach spreads like stories or look use stories that the cards create as a way to go deeper into a question and not stories yeah that i have created or designed or outlined but that but that become stories in a way that i'm participating in the making of just by doing the reading of the cards and i guess that helped me also understand or think about um and you know a big institutional religion like Christianity in a different way. It afforded me some tools that I was able to use to actually take some, I don't know, authority in understanding or interpreting um, 
or taking, I don't know, uh, yeah, this the, the, the theology of Christianity, because what the tarot suggested was that you are inside of a story and you can, ex- and, this, and the sort of project is then to sort of continuously sort of explore it and make and piece it together and not arrive at an end at any point, but to sort of constantly be re-entering the story and exploring it. And then I was like, okay, I could approach Christianity that way. I could approach this theology that way. And that is a yeah, and that is a way that like no sort of interpreter or her- hermeneutics has suggested is okay to do, but the tarot did. That's really interesting. Um, I mean, so especially coming out of a sort of you know feminist um, way of looking at and taking apart something like Christianity mm-hmm. or religion or whatever. It seems like we we w- did also to go to a place of like no fuck religion we're not even gonna we're not gonna do with it, um, and it, I I guess I do have a lot of problems with people who with sort of um, people within Christianity uh, trying to explain how it somehow aligns with feminist ideology. Mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm, no mm-hmm, no mm-hmm, no it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Let's I mean you know let's look at the history. Let's actually let's not kid ourselves about how you know how this goes. Um, but then to entirely reject it doesn't work, doesn't work either, mm-hmm. and leaves this kind of weird spiritual scar, mm-hmm. um, which most people don't even want to talk about or admit that it exists. But there is something about sort of like working within it. Um, I can't go to Christian services mm-hmm. because as soon as any I understand anything that's happening, I, I want to fight everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, like a sermon, I want to I want to just fight everybody. Um, I wish there was a church where where one could. Just go up Wait, and we punch can pause the for priest. fighting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for um, a brawl. That would feel really true to me. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so I can only do services that are totally, like, I mean, very old-fashioned, mm-hmm. like pre-Vatican mm-hmm. II, where it's just a sensual Decorum. thing, and it's not, uh, mm-hmm. has nothing, nothing spoken in English that I can argue with. That's totally. the only way that I can that I can manage it. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you have a similar problem with like arguing uh, in your head or punching priests or uh, other other such activities? Yeah, I think all of that except, um, and I don't even know if this is the best way to describe it. But one of one of the one of the ways one of the ways in which I hear, you know progressive or liberal Christians <laughs> um, try to describe or like be a, sort of an apologist for the ways in which Christianity uh, you know is compatible or aligns with feminism um, I, fi- I often find those m- modes of explanation lacking in that they they just sort of like they they just they do the same thing that the that the evil, hateful people do, which is just pluck lines at random. Yeah. So, like, hateful, evil person plucks line at random and uses it and presents it as a sort of dictum, and then, and then, like, well-meaning liberal Christian plucks random line and does the same thing with it, and it, and it. I mean, it, and it, it's the problem is is in the whole process of like understanding, as, of understanding, as far as I am concerned, mm-hmm. with like how, like 
all like how sacred texts function. Um, it's a problem in understanding uh, like how <laughs> what theology is. <laughs> um, I mean, this is what I've decided. So like I actually <laughs> um, by I actually you know do think that and in yeah do think that there's a lot. Um, in fact, almost everything that I think is value like valuable and important about feminism like is what is valuable and important about Christianity to me. Um, and part of that has to do with separating like what I understand to be the like the theology from the church. And I have made a decision, I guess, and this is sort of something I, that I arrive at I arrived at by writing this book and thinking through these different figures who had done these strange things or cool things or whatever with the theology is that the theology has to be this other thing. Mm-hmm. That's separate from, again, this sort of these this, these corrosive disseminators, um, no pun intended, uh, of that theology or of that interpretation. And the way that I understand the theology to function is that at its you know like at its core values, <laughs> like what it is what this is is a um, the truth is unstable. Ergo, we have to provide multi-perspectival accounts of of um, you know of uh, you know defining events, i.e., like the life of Jesus, I and or the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, who are again contributing to that canon. Um, uh, it suggests to me, like as far as I understand the theology, it's a theology positing like a radical, um, like uh, sort of communal. Um, life that's like anti-family, anti-nuclear family, especially like, like really anti, like even <laughs> like marriage. Oh no, like super anti everything. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, um, um, in the service of this sort of like greater good. As far as I understand, the theology espouse is like pretty clear about like, um, like, like in order, like. Uh, I don't know, tear it down, fuck the government, like, 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 it is like nothing good is going to happen by sort of like, by affecting things at this sort of like structural governmental level, like the way in which we have to live has to be made unrecognizable to the powers that be. Mm -hmm. We have to become unrecognizable. We... By by the ways by the by by the merits of this like the radical cause of this theology of like deep self sacrifice and sort of like radical crazy and untrackable expressions of love, um, and we have to be strange in order to be, um, in order to be able to sort of constantly uh, el- el- elude <laughs> the powers that be, like, and so. In in a in a way, actually, like my own, like my pot, like as I've actually become more deeply um, invested in the project of thinking about and interpreting, and taking some kind of authority of theology, like my politics have become like significantly more deep and radical, and so I, and so in in that way, like <laughs> I. I guess I posit that there is actually this like deep compatibility there, but yes. it's hard to articulate. I can only articulate at, in in a way as a narr- at, at, as evident in the sort of like narrative of my own radicalization being tied to like these deeper excursions. Well, yeah. you focus on um, 
mystics primarily mm-hmm. and people who take this kind of um, uh, far out there uh, idea or experience or uh, or whatever the fuck um, and then force everybody to come do to that them. with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like you're standing in church being like, so maybe we should think about accepting gays. <laughs> right. Like maybe we can think about it. Right. Um, it's like uh, it, they, they sort of radical women like from the Fox sisters, which we've now done like fucking four episodes of this podcast about. Um, awesome. We've done so many Fox wow. sisters shit. Um, anyway, it just keep, I just keep coming back to it. Um, <laughs> um, uh, Christian science. I mean, my favorites were always the um, mystical saints, uh, St. Catherine, uh, St. Teresa, St. So-and-so. Um, there were also sort of uh, having these sort of radical experiences and forcing the church to... Um, move toward them rather than the other, you know, the other way around. Um, yeah, so uh, there's, we had, you know, again, some compatibility and common ground between us. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, tell tell us a bit about what how you um, chose the women that you decided to profile. Yeah, it was really um, idiosyncratic. Like, I, it was, I, I didn't have a sort of total vision of how the book was going to work because I was actually writing and and experiencing a lot of the autobiographical like details up until like i don't know august 2016 like like it was i was really writing it right up until i delivered the manuscript and then it was a pretty short period relative to like other uh or what i expected i guess from a publication calendar before it came out um, and uh, so I didn't I, I just didn't know I didn't know what I was looking for I didn't even really know how to articulate why it was I was interested in like and f- kind of organizing these quests around different figures I um, like the way I would say it is just you know or the, at the time it was just like I'm really interested in like the like really crazy diversity of uh, like American religious projects that claim to have all spawned from this same you know moment which is like the resurrection I guess and um, and and that was really just the way that I said it out loud to anyone who asked for years and years and years. Meanwhile, kind of questing and questing and doing all these things, and and the way in which the the you know women presented themselves was like on the radio, talking with a friend, someone saying like you should go to Lilydale or like <laughs> or like you should go talk to Sally Ann Glassman or like but over the course like an accumulated mix of more or less totally haphazard encounters um, over the course of about four years. And um, yeah, and there were like a couple of figures who I wanted to, who I I wanted to include, who I arrived at by research, like by, Mm -hmm. by kind of an intent, uh, with an intent to find another person who would fit this mix. But none of the people, none of the figures who I tried to arrive at that way made it into the book all the figures in the book were 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 un were essentially unplanned mm-hmm. um and not sort of um yeah not not chosen because they fit or they because they because because I was or, or not chosen because I was even able to articulate what was like unique about their contribution like there's so much about this book that I didn't really understand until it came out 
a month ago. Yeah. It's really weird. Something. Does that happen to you? Oh, yeah. Dead Ladies Project. Yeah. Yeah. You were like, oh, yeah. what was I'm just curious. <laughs> um, what was the thing you discovered? Uh, well, I was still having all the, the I was going through all the stuff up until uh, up until I turned in the manuscript. Like, so a lot of the uh, the book has this, you know, gentleman coming in and out of my life. And I wrote the book with him in my house and we were trying to work this shit out like as I was writing the book <laughs> and I was not letting him read the book um, because, yeah. Um, anyway, um, but yeah, no, it was a very sort of similar experience. And then I read it. I was like, oh, this is what our relationship was. Fuck. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but you're like, and it had, did I really have to sort of like, yeah, did it really have to require this thing, like, you know, like coming out, turning into this concrete object in other people's hands in order to sort of apparently. Like, create this kind of reflection? <laughs> yeah, apparently. Apparently. Truly. Yeah, yeah, that's what it feels like for me. Yeah. yeah. But then I think that's nice. You, you know, these books are spiritual projects rather than intellectual projects, and that's kind of the proof of it. So who did you leave out? Um, so I left out, like, this... Uh, almost don't want to say because my un my my understanding of these particular figures is so much less deep than the ones I wrote about but there was one um woman named Maud Hembry who um ran a steamship ministry called the Megado Steamship church in western New York and she would travel the like Great Lakes and um, on this steamship which was also this sort of um, uh, yeah socialist commune anti-family um, and they would go and do these sort of like missions and in and and these projects in these places that would they they would port and then just and like continue adding to this like steam this like floating um, mission church um, as they went along and like that was the pri like that this was the sort of primary mode or existence of the church for the entire time that she that she ran it. Um, and she was the leader of the church, and it's still, and and of and of course, like after she dies, um, you know, the church shrinks. This is sort of like exclusively big in like the early twentieth century, um, but there's still a very small devoted contingent up in in Rochester. Um, so I was really, I really, I don't even know what I wanted to say about her or think about her. And at the time, I was also reading. I was like following. Um, uh, what the hell? Women on Waves? Is that what it's called? But this, the abortion The clinic? abortion clinic, yep, yeah. yeah. So I was thinking a lot about the work that they were doing. I think this is actually like how how I arrived at Maud Hembry because I was like, because I was thinking about women on waves who perform abortions in international waters outside of, um, or for women who are, you know, in countries where abortion is illegal. And, and then Maud Hembry entered into my, you know, like sphere, and I was like, "This is gonna be something here." <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, there's something, but I never, you know, I never, I, ne I didn't, I don't know what it is. I still don't know. She might come back. She might come back in a different form, yeah. in a different project. Yeah, there. I mean, there were a couple of people that got left out of the Dead Ladies Project that have definitely sort of like reemerged as problems that I have to deal with. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, and they show up in other stuff. So maybe, maybe it'll come back. Um, I was very interested in um, the American aspect of it, 
Um, I guess in the way that I'm, I feel so disconnected from Christianity, you know, like capital C Christianity, and I'm so embarrassed by it. And I am so disconnected and embarrassed by like America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so I, sort of I had to go to sort of medieval European Christianity in order to find anything that I connected to. Um, uh, and also I had to go live in Europe for a long time. Um, but do you feel like, I mean, certainly you're dealing a lot with your own family issues mm-hmm. um, and family history through throughout the book. Um, but do you feel like a, I mean, there is a specific kind of um, American Christianity, like a certain form of expression of Christianity that seems very American to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What is it? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think at base it's this, and this is, yeah, it's at, it's at base this like really literal understanding of like the very individual relationship between you and your God. That, which is not something or an idea created um, <laughs> in the United States, that's like a kind of tenet of, you know, the Reformation, but it, it took a shape in America that was really literal, um, or that was interpreted, or and then lived out in this mm-hmm. really literal way. So you have like, you know, so you have these, and it's changed over time. But these manifestations of these periods of you know Pentecostal um, sort of primacy, evangelical primacy, um, you know, the sort of Second Great Awakening, like revival primacy, right? And and these are sort of like the big, major, most American sort of moments in American religion making. In that they all, all of those express that sort of literalism. And then I think literalism in general, mm-hmm. and a penchant for literalism. Um, uh, is another thing that marks American Christianity in particular, and American Protestantism in particular, um, not just in that literal relationship, that literal individual relationship between between you and God, but in in the way that you like carry out, you know, hermeneutics, and the way that you you know carry out sort of like the understanding of doctrine, and the way that you, um, I don't know, like relate to. Um, yeah, bodies of power, like th- these sort of these sort of black and white, um, mom and dad. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, there, there's. I just think I think that 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 literalism is is, and it's like one of the darkest, like most you know, um, dangerous, tragic uh, forces. Uh, like it, it is in fact the like a force that has that an interpretive force that has that has contributed to the making of such like a a horrendous uh yeah church culture (laughs) i mean and theology and whatever um but i really think that's the yeah it's the american the american protestant way literalism it's easy it's easy and simple and it and innocent Mm -hmm. And it, and I mean, yeah. it's not actually that was in quotes. <laughs> well, it, it's that thing like, of like the anti-authoritarian yeah. or, or, or anti uh, anti-intellectual. Author- yeah, anti- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah totally. Like nobody, nobody can tell me how to interpret this passage. I get it. Exactly. Like, it's like, there's a lot of 
context that you're missing, honey. Right. Maybe somebody could provide for you. Or even in the name of like egalitarianism, like even if, even if, and I don't think that's why things are the way they are, but like in the most generous reading of American Christian religion making, you could say like, oh, it was sort of one of these accidental outcomes of like, of our, you know, idealistic hopes for democracy and what that looked like and like what if democracy like what would you know what does democracy look like in or what does religion or like religious community look like under a democracy like well you know or it becomes accessible to everyone right and and anyone can talk about it and interpret it or whatever 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 and um yeah, and if and and then and if we allow that to be possible, then like yeah, then we end up where we are. I'm not even saying that's like my master narrative for like how Christianity became what it is in the United States, but that's like that's like the nicest way you could put it. But I think it's more sinister than that, because really, because that doesn't even take into account the power brokers, religious power brokers, <laughs> at play. Like yeah. the idea that it's just like an accident. Like the idea that it's just like a pun, like it's American idiocy gone crazy is kind of sweet or not yeah it's our natural yeah state. Yeah, yeah yeah but i don't think that's actually true i think there's actually sinister <laughs> power, I mean, I'm, powers I'm, also I'm, I'm so mad about the reformation i still think <laughs> it was a bad idea and we should go back we should like just say nope sorry fuck luther fuck calvin like let's just we'll just go back to the way it was <laughs> like, sorry <laughs> Sorry, everybody. It didn't work out. We tried. Sorry. It's a bad idea. Um, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, what would um, the opposite of nailing the 95 theses to the door be? Like, the reverse Reformation action? Let me think about that, because I feel like I could do it. I know. That's um, why I thought you'd be the person to ask, and I need to know. <laughs> I need to know, too. Like, I, you know, I'm still trying to build like a secular sort of convent um, in Kansas City. Uh, if anybody has any ideas about how to actually do that, like get in touch. Like there's a lot of vacant lots in Kansas City. Oh I feel like God. we could do something really good oh there. Oh my God. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the reason I get mad about the, you know, and I do, like I get mad about the Reformation. Like I sit and I read about Luther and I like yell at him. <laughs> You know, I'm reading a biography. I'm like, you stupid motherfucker. What are you, you know? Um, um, but the reason is because of, um, you know, it seemed like there was a tradition within Catholicism that understood, um, hey, marriage and family is shit for women. Let's give them a space where they don't have to participate in that. And that just went out all the windows mm-hmm. with uh, Protestantism and, mm-hmm. and still... You know, American Protestantism is so much focused on the family. It's so much about, you know, um, dads, about you're you're supposed to obey your dad and then your dad hands you over to your husband and, you know, and you serve God by serving dad, you know. And it really, really creeps me out. Yeah. Amen. (laughs) No, no, it's true. Um, Which to me, like, which I understand is like this, like, um, this her like this horrific, uh, like misappropriation like of this like theology. Um, like I don't know. I think of that. <laughs> mm, that did you ever see Dogma? The Kevin Smith. Oh, films? sure, yeah, it's great. It's a really it's yeah, a fantastic it's, it's in a good. lot of ways. But I, but they the when they the the angels come descend upon um 
the uh, whatever the, like the fake McDonald's corporation is. It's like it's like a but it's a fast food company, and they go into the boardroom. In the middle of the boardroom, there's the gold the golden calf, which is like the app the you know whatever avatar of the company logo. Yeah, yeah the logo. and um, like that's what I feel like like that room that 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 room of the of the sort of like well-meaning wealthy powerful Americans who then have like all of their secrets sort of like dredged out by the angels and who are sitting around unbeknownst to them like um, or like unbeknownst the re- the irony is un- like un uh, seeable to them but this like golden calf that's what I that's the image that comes to mind when I think about America's uh yeah like an american protestantism protestantism's relationship and obsession with family mm-hmm. like the equivalent in my mind is are people sitting around a boardroom surrounding a golden <laughs> calf and like not and like not 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 realizing <laughs> what they've done like it's yeah. so like yeah i don't know i was talking to my like my husband uh is study studies uh like dark ages theology uh, like post uh, the fall of Rome, pre or right up until the sort of uh, rise of Islam in the eighth century, and he uh, at Fordham, this Jesuit school, and he um, he's like, oh, I've got to start, we've got to like me, like me and Stephen really want to start a, a group at Fordham called like Fordham Catholics Against the Family. But I'm like, yeah, that's the right thing, like that's the right idea. We should start forming coalitions. We just start forming like, <laughs> like explicit co like explicit religiously identified co- like Christian coalitions that are like, yeah, against the family, against marriage, against money, yeah. against. I mean, yeah, yeah. Again, <laughs> I am married. Yeah, <laughs> just so but we like, can just so we sure. can mention this in in every podcast that we do. Mm-hmm. Marriage should be abolished. Yeah, just want to get that out into uh, the open. <laughs> Um, I'm sure your marriage is fine. It's yeah, fine. I mean, but I, I mean, I, re- I say this recognizing that, that like, I've, yeah, I've engaged, <laughs> I've engaged, but, but I also recognize, like, but I would also be willing to, to like, throw my life behind, you know, whatever, ex, Christians against marriage, <laughs> like that yeah. would be, yeah, if that was like what we were gonna do, we were all gonna like, we were gonna like really get down to business and like you know, leave society and, like, actually live out this theology that we claim to believe, like, I'd be ready to do that. But it would require, like, it would require me, like, it would require my life becoming unrecognizable to myself. That's what I think that, like, that, and that's kind of why I'm really interested in a lot of these, and a lot of these figures is not for their, um, not because I think they're, like, righteous or saint, you know, or, like, sort of saintly or just heroic in these simple ways, but, like, they become in a lot of these cases they become they be they are made so strange and unrecognizable to themselves and in some ways unrecognizable to the world by f- carrying out or by following what they think yeah this is religion what this theology is asking them to do and i find that really moving yeah, and instructive too. but meanwhile <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> I, my life is recognizable to you know, whatever, to the powers that be. I haven't eluded them yet. I'm yeah. married and I have a job. <laughs> I went to the uh, I went to the mom march in, in Omaha, Nebraska, yeah, yeah. which was um about family. Like uh family above all else. Like family as compound, mm-hmm. like family as just really sort of um castle 
with a moat around it and how dare the government in any way interfere between you know anything that I don't want my child to know or experience or whatever like this total control thing um and it really creeped me out um <laughs> but like it, it this is it, it, there was also that experience of like no these are this, these are my people <laughs> this is where I come <laughs> from like, this, is, like <laughs> this is how I was raised <laughs> and I kind of there were the all these teen girls I was like it's not too late. You can come to my commune. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god. <laughs> um, but it does seem like our culture is so ridiculously stupid about religion, yeah, and spirituality, yes. Because you either have it being written about by like capital B believers, right. like Mom March yes. people, yes, um, or you have it written by skeptics who feel that they need to keep a sort of ironic distance right. from it, right? Um, which has led to some really terrible um, literature on religion, and there doesn't seem to be any middle ground. Very little. Very little, at least. Yeah. Um, did you see the that CNN show Believer or whatever? No, but with what the fuck is his Reza, name? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I did. I'm aware of it. I'm aware of it. It was deeply bad. I, I bet. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> He's really like cashed in. I mean, I guess like he could have. <laughs> I don't know. He had the makings, right, to do something. As a writer, yes. even before the show, you know, just in his, with his training, not just as like a thinker about religion, but it's also his training as a writer and like having this like, you know, cool, complex religious background and yeah, you know, but yeah, but. But he left us. But he totally did. Yeah, he, he totally betrayed did. us for like CNN. CNN. I mean, if you're more, you know, and all that that. Yeah. And includes <laughs> yeah i mean i think uh you know his first book was good um and then everything else was kind of downhill from there because he decided he just really wanted to be famous and be on tv right, talking know? about religion <laughs> i feel like if you want to talk about religion the last thing you should ever want to do is to be on tv i know i know maybe he just want maybe he really wanted to talk about something else which he like still hasn't gotten to yet but he's still actually we haven't even seen the like final form of his desires. Religion was just this way in. <laughs> oh my God, he really wants to be like on TV and talk about, I don't know, world domination or Mind Hunter. Yeah, <laughs> he really wants to. I don't know. He really wants to talk about <laughs> world domination. Um, but I no. But I think like I think of Alex Marr as someone who writes and thinks in really interesting ways about American religion, neither as a skeptic. Um, or uh, See, no, you feel differently about it. That. Okay, no, I mean finish your no, thought, no, and fine. then I'm going to argue with you. No, no, that's fine. Like, um, like not neither as a. I mean, not not she 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 makes clear, kind of like her own limit, you know, limitations in terms of like a being her suspension of disbelief. But, mm -hmm. um, but I I yeah, I was very inspired by by Witches of America and by um. American mystic um, by the way I felt like she was able to just sort of as much as she could you know inhabit and follow and try to yeah try to like move towards the sort of cosmology that each of her subjects you know lived in and um, but I but I don't know why I brought her up first because I know she's so I know 
witch, or at least I feel like Witches of America was really controversial. I don't know that American Mystic was. No, I really like same, American yeah, Mystic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was another. I mean, there's like a lot of contemporary scholars who were wonderful, um, but like that work is not being read typically by like you know a sort of whatever like a lay reader. But mm-hmm. like the but but actually Anne Browdy is. Anyways, Anne Browdy is like a, I feel like a reader who, or a writer of, of religion of American women in religion who straddles both the sort of lay reading world and the scholarly world. Um, there was another person I was just thinking of. Oh, and then there's this like this growing cadre of like evangelical kind of like evangelical heretics, uh, Rachel Held Evans and Sarah Basie and. It's like there's a number of them who are actually writing these these books that are that are that are from an evangelical pr- perspective, but that are but that are like these like deep scathing like theological critiques um, and critiques of the church who are like outspoken against all of the same things I am, but but and yet try, and yet trying to again take authority of what it means to be like evangelical what it means theologically to be evangelical and they yeah I actually find their work again like they're not really they're read by other like evangelical heretics you know or like or like queer people who've been like cast out from you know into the outer darkness by like their religious communities homes families whatever Mm -hmm. and like like and but are still you know observant or or still um seeking and like these are writers who were actually who I, th- I feel like that who who have this like big audience of people who like really yeah just scorned scorned evangelicals who like need to who who are looking for permission to to like re understand this religion and to like and to <laughs> and in in fact actually to be able to like assume uh, be able to like uh, uh sit on their plinth and look back at the assholes and say like you're the fucking heretics <laughs> like that's actually what I feel like is so powerful about projects like Rachel Held, Held Evans is that in that like when I look at her whole body of work I'm like oh my god that's what it's doing it's building this sort of castle where we now all get where, where like where where like all of these sort of scorned evangelicals and like deeply just like wounded and abused you know queer people get to look back and go like yeah you guys are the fucking heretics. We shall inherit the earth. So I really admire what they're doing um, in terms of being writers of religion and not just that one, this binary that we just talked about. I'm sure there are others, but these are just some I think about. Mm. Yeah. But Alex Marr? I mean, I don't know how to well, like, yeah, steamrolled. I mean, no, my problem with Alex Marr was simply that um, I kind of agreed with the controversy. I thought that the way that she wrote about um, witchcraft was um, uh, patronizing mm. um, and the way that she sort of wrote about the figures and were was patronizing um, and that she didn't kind of do enough of her own shit before she went into the project you know um, I think if you're going to um, deal with the unconscious your unconscious has to Better be fucking smudging some sage in that motherfucker. Um, but um, yeah, so uh, that that was simply my problem with Alex mm-hmm. Moore was it, it seemed like the also the kind of beginning of this. Um, um, let's make witchcraft 
um, easy and approachable and completely take it away from every all of its deeper meaning. Like, let's make it into an Instagram uh, hashtag rather than a, uh, you know, a religion. A, a legitimate, religion. yeah, like a leg- legitimate uh, religion or spiritual practice. The, I, I would, that last point, I would, I would, uh, I would add that the reason I, I, I bet that's why she why it, she was able to sell the book sure to yeah. a publisher oh yeah of course but because she had been because she had made American Mystic which was you know I can't remember the subject's name but that who is like obviously the sort of main subject or the main guide of yeah. which is America like I had lots of evidence that she had been like deeply invested in this material like long mm. bef- longish before yeah. The this particular zeitgeist of uh, the neoliberal sure. co-option of yes. witches, Capitalist yeah, co-option. you know yeah. what I mean. Like I wouldn't put that on her. No, I don't put you it know? on her. It just seemed like but the it was getting of it the crust. A part yeah. of that, yeah. yeah. Forever dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by dog. Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.